This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This is the John Oakley Show podcast. We're back into it with our panel, Adrian Batra, Kim Wright, Mike Van Solen. Topics worthy of discussion for Pizzaville, dial pound 3636. So uh, when we were talking about this Iranian uh, debacle there with the airliner coming down. Now, you know, they fessed up to a certain extent, if we believe them. It was human error. Uh, but the human error factor played large, too, in a report that went out from the Pickering, uh, Pickering nuclear plant on Sunday morning about 7.30. There was an alert issued, and uh, it was clarified in a tweet about 40 minutes later, and not uh, to worry because there was nothing to do about anything. And uh, then a subsequent alert went out two hours after the fact. So uh, a lot of people wondering about the timeline and the misinformation or lack of clarity. So, uh, Kim Wright, let me ask you first and foremost, I mean, do you believe the authorities have uh, a full handle on this file? Do you trust them with this kind of stuff? Or do you think uh, a lot needs to be investigated and sorted out? Yeah, there's a ton that needs to be sorted out, not the least of which, if it was some sort of a testing that was going on. uh, One, why wouldn't you have told the mayor of Pickering just so, you know, because you think... Mayor Ryan was going to get a call or two uh, when people these types of things, if they had gone out, or even just give them a heads up, hey, we're doing some tabletop testing. The fact that nobody seemed to know there was tabletop testing uh, at any, either the municipality, the region, or the province uh, leads me to believe that this was more than just an oops, but certainly a communications meltdown, and thankfully not anything more serious than that. Adrian, how about you? And by the way, I'm just wondering, in uh, light of the fact that this could have been real, do you think we're prepared adequately to deal with something like this? If it needs to be uh, a case of mass evacuations, what do you think? Do you think the authorities have a handle on the whole issue? Well, probably. I mean, look, errors happen and they cop to it. I still am somewhat dumbfounded. I share Kim's, you know, sort of question mark about how it got to this process where, you know, no one just put, you know, draft or, you know, we went from one list to the other. And I don't think that, though, that's an overall reflection of their preparedness. And I think that they are. And so I think there's, um, you know, cause for concern, but not alarm. And I I think that they are um, looking at whatever happened, looking at the systems. I think where I am concerned, though, is the amount of time it took them to acknowledge the screw up and how that information was disseminated. That is is challenging, and I can't get my mind wrapped around that one. Sunday morning, maybe they're short-staffed. They wanted to be thorough, so, you know, it (laughs) took a few hours. I don't know, Mike, uh, some thoughts on this quickly. Yeah, look, I I think they're going to learn from this, and uh, it's great they're doing their homework. You know, I know know, know, some of the folks are around this issue, and uh, um, so I'm sure that they'll work to do better by it. I think the fact that it moved from a practice to almost sort of a mini-crisis in and of itself explains a bit of the time, because... 
suddenly you went from a, a practice that wasn't supposed to be public to needing to pull in the, the people to explain what happened and, and to give them the, the course of action, uh, which they did. Um, what I think is important is that emergency alert system. Uh, we have some patience with it as, as we use in these different instances. I know everybody gets all uh, livid uh, when they get these texts at different hours, uh, but I'm really confident it's going to save some lives in the future. So I hope uh, people can be patient with it. And it already has. I mean, every time I see these people who say, oh, you know, the Amber Alerts have gone too far and too fast. You know, we didn't have to look that far back where there was a woman in the GTHA uh, who had abducted her son and was found in southwestern Ontario in my hometown of Tilbury. Uh, She had stopped for KFC in town and people noticed a strange car and called it in. The the Amber Alerts work. And if there is one less dead child, uh, one less abducted child, one saved child, I am all for it. And if you don't like it, turn your phone off overnight. You're not that darn important then. Yeah, but look, if this is a, a nuclear reactor that's uh, having a meltdown yeah. or whatever, I mean, look, uh, you're, this is not an Amber Alert per se. It's an alert done in a similar vein. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, everybody needs to know, I guess, so they can... Uh, Although I think they should make a different tone because I think there are a lot of people who went, oh, it's an Amber Alert, I'm not out about, so I'm just going to kind of ignore it. So I think if it is some sort of thing, maybe the province can start looking at different tones for different types of emergencies. I, I think I think what's at issue, too, is the messaging that was in the yeah. um, alert. You know, nothing to see here, folks. No, it's not like Chernobyl. It's not melting down or, or you know, within a 10 kilometer. It was just odd messaging. So I think it was... a significant communications failure that needs tightening up. Um, And, you know, it's an important point, I think, that you raise, Kim, with respect to them not even giving uh, local officials the sort of uh, an alert that this is this is going to be conducted. You know, there's so many layers of defense when it comes to these types of um, transmissions, for example. It really is shocking to me that so many failed along along the way. Well, that's what's given us pause for concern. I had friends who were living in the proximity of the region it was within 10 kilometers and they had to uh, scramble for their iodine tablets so anyway uh, much ado about nothing in the end but uh, it's led to a call for investigations and an accounting something that uh, equally alarming but it's not going to come to pass the uh, monarchy will not be unraveling the queen gave her imprimatur or blessing to uh, the two kids harry and megan to create a new life as they see as a young family in canada and the uk uh so let me ask you again, Kim Wright, is she being pragmatic? She's understood this is something that uh, is not, it's almost inevitable. Uh, she would look stodgy and dictatorial if she ruled otherwise. Let him go about. And the fact of the matter is he's sixth in line to the throne. Really, he's never got a shot. Uh, they're going to consolidate around Charles, William, uh, Georgie, little Georgie, and the rest. Andrew, he's been exiled, banished. I don't know where the hell he is in northern Scotland somewhere, off the Isle of Skye. <laughs> right, he's in the moors. Not even going to his daughter's with, wedding, yeah, probably. With Heathcliff. Hopefully yes. not, yeah. poor daughter. Uh, look, I think uh, this whole, you know, how, how you know, we, I've seen some headlines over the course of the day where they showcase uh, headlines of what Megan does and, and Kate doing the exact same thing with glowing headlines and Megan is fire and brimstone. I think a lot of this has played out for tabloid fodder. I think if they want to go start start their family and do it with a bit of space and a little breathing room given he's six in line to the throne fine i think the queen looked back on some of her own trials and tribulations as the uh, immediate monarch successor uh and 
you know, maybe there was some uh, sympathy around that. The reality is they're going to still keep working in some some capacity. He's still going to so they're going to have their cake stuff. and eat it too. Uh, I think. I That's think, an outrage. I think, you know, Harry's been looking for a bit of an out pretty much his whole life. Well, let and, me ask you, here's something else. I'm, I wanted, Okay, I wanted to move it along because uh, maybe the Queen wants him out of sight, out of mind. There had been talk that, uh, you know, in the UK and the Americans, uh, there's a rift in interpretations where the Americans are citing that uh, she, Meghan Markle, has not been fully accepted into the royal fold, let alone, uh, you know, proper prim UK society. And it has a racial tone to it or overtones. Mike Vance, only you think there's anything to that? Well, I, I think there's a little bit to it. Yeah, um, I saw some of the same coverage that Kim is alluding to about how they, uh, how the British press have even just talked about Meghan versus Kate. And uh, I don't know how you don't look at that and interpret that a little bit of, of uh, um, certainly a, a lack of acceptance of Meghan compared to Kate, you know, their own, uh, uh, who, co- who comes from, you know, perfect upbringing to, to, to play the role that she is. So um, I think they have gotten some pretty rough uh, treatment, uh, Meghan in particular, and and uh, I understand why they want to step away from it. They they have no chance to you know have the top job. Um, we can talk about how it was done. Uh, I think it's a negotiation at the end of the day, and they're sort of sorting it out a little bit. Um, it'll be interesting to see where they land in Canada. I don't know if that's already known, but uh, I'm kind of for Harry and uh, Meghan, uh, and interested to see what they do. Nobody ever f- fully leaves the firm, as we were told last week. But do you think there's something uh, that has to do with the race of Meghan Markle that plays a role in all of this? Yeah, so no, I don't at all, actually. I think what plays more of a part in this is that Meghan Markle has ostensibly thumbed her nose at every aspect of tradition and anything um, with respect to the monarchy in general, and that really came across pretty much since the moment she started uh, dating Harry. Um, I do, however, have an extraordinary extraordinary amount of sympathy for the queen and i'm not a monarchist by the way i'm sort of a bring on the republic sort of person but um i i I look at the queen and and harry is supposedly her favorite grandson and so i think that you know the sympathy that she has for him with respect to him growing up with uh, with what happened with diana he was 12 when that went on his mental health issues and struggling with all that i think she just wants peace in her family and I don't think that this, I think it is absolutely a crisis for the royal family, not only with what happened with Prince Andrew, uh, but this is an ongoing, this will be an ongoing negotiation. Um, They very publicly embarrassed her. They very publicly um, uh, thumbed their nose at so many things that um, she has stood for for 60 years of her reign. But I think ultimately they can figure it out and I hope they do. And that's fine. Megan and Harry want to do things differently. They want to be more progressive. They want to do all of this. But please don't bring race into this. Please don't say that it's because of this. The British tabloid press, which is brutal and the most brutal for sure, but they universally um, praised Megan's presence in the monarchy um, as a, a new modern. Um, uh, well, this is the royalty. Americans but, who are saying but, it. But, af- but only after Harry beat the crap out of him, put out that unprecedented statement. No, I don't know about if it was only after that. I, I think I, it was very think, much. They so. looked at her as fresh and new because there's any anything that is uh, people look at with respect to the monarchy is a little bit of revitalization, just like the way they looked at Diana when she got engaged to um, Prince Charles. But 
it, think... it felt more like the way we uh, we in the press uh, we in the press in the press you see people kind of build build up poli- political leaders Just who uh, and, and then then they get at the job as soon as they've got them up then they get the, get at the job and sort of knocking them down and and it felt like they gave uh, Megan a little bit of a honeymoon period but they were pretty quick to turn their knives yeah well they were pretty hard on Kate too um, and I saw that very same story the two of you are referring to um, in terms of comparing and contrasting the headlines. Yeah, they they can be brutal, but those are just headlines. And you, if you actually read the stories, it's not as bad as as. Um, oh, so you know, many people... times I wish people read the stories. But yeah, but I know. For the, but the, for the queen, and look, I, I make no bones about it. And people who know me know I am a monarchist. Uh, this is also for the for the queen. Shades of the abdication that you know here is her now grandson you know, taking a step back from royal duties and royal life because he has found this love of his life, you know. But Edward I, was I, king. He was, but he still abdicated, which Queen Elizabeth... With a divorcee. From from America. Wallace Simpson, mm-hmm. right. Uh, you know, I'm sure this had all sorts of, of things, but for Queen Elizabeth, she has been very clear on the, this is duty for her whole life, whether it be long or short. Uh, she does not uh, see abdication as ever a, a way out. And when what she also sees is the abdication of Edward, uh, basically what she felt killed her father and put her whole entire life into a tailspin. So, you know, which, you know, worked out for humanity that Queen Elizabeth is around, but not so good on the on the personal stage. So there's lots of nuances to this. I did particularly like, though, that the statement really was, uh, uh, from the Queen today was about the family and moving this away from being about the royals, but rather the use of the word family, I think, eight times in four paragraphs. So, Or maybe yeah. she's just happy to be rid of it. Well, you know, the situation uh, yeah. too. If well, she's, she's not, not progressive, she's pragmatic. And by the way, uh, where race rears its head again, uh, there was a story. I was reading an op-ed piece in one of your competitive papers uh, here. It's, fine. it's uh, acceptable. Well, you know, there was a <laughs> just support a, journalism. <laughs> a documentary uh, called "Passport Babies" on the CBC on Sunday night, and uh, one of the columnists opined that this was just a dog whistle to xenophobic tendencies. In other words, what happens is you've got people coming over from, say, China, and uh, they have a baby here. And then the baby is accorded all the rights, Canadian citizenship and all that engenders. And hence, uh, when they grow up, too, they can bring in parents, grandparents, you know, the extended family argument and so on and so forth. And while it's only about 5,000 on an annual basis, there are people who are primarily in the lower mainland in B.C., but I'm sure it happens in Toronto as well. They tax the system. They're a burden on the system, uh, which was the argument at least made by the documentary. But uh, the op-ed writer was saying that, no, this is just, uh, again, xenophobia and racism and so on and so forth. Is it legitimate to say that, yeah, these anchor babies, if you will, or passport babies, as they're euphemistically called, do present some problems, Adrian. Well, I think it is a real um, issue that needs to be addressed. Um, it's not going to just be fixed in Canada, though. It's going to have to require, um, you know, you you can't stop flights coming from China to Canada, for example, or from wherever country to Canada. Yeah, but the conservatives um, were they, saying if they were elected, yeah. they would have... Uh, they would have done something about that. Right. And and so so things can't be done in isolation, though, in our country. It, we need cooperation with other nations in order to address it. It may just be 5,000 now. And, oh, by the way, I don't know who wrote that op-ed. Uh, it's nonsense. It's not xenophobic. It's, it's not xenophobic to question whether or not um, you have smart and good immigration in your own country. Uh, so I don't think it's unrealistic to say maybe if you were nine months pregnant, you shouldn't be traveling to our country. 
Well, or uh, if you do have a baby under those circumstances, doesn't automatically... Don't give them guaranteed a, citizenship. Right, and this is what the conservatives had promised if they were elected, they would stop this idea. Right. But they were considered to be xenophobic, as I say, or that this had a racial element to it. Mike Van Solen, how do you see it? Yeah, well, look, I, I want to underscore the point that I think this op-ed was ridiculous. And, you know, maybe that's why it wasn't in the Toronto Sun. Exactly. It was in the Star. Uh, there we are. We name in the paper. Uh, but it, but it's crazy to think that uh, just having the conversation about something that is happening is somehow uh, xenophobic or, or, or just, uh, you know, fanning those flames of hate. Um, I think it is a conversation we need to have because the other reality is other countries are dealing with this. Australia, New Zealand, others are shutting this down in some ways or, or changing the rules so that this doesn't happen with the frequency it is so that leaves us as you know on a shorter and shorter list of countries where this sort of this move works so i think it is something our political leaders are going to have to address and i get it there's xenophobic and racist elements in society who will seize on this for completely different reasons but i think there is a valid public policy reason why we need to look at it and make sure it still makes sense well what was interesting this was a documentary on the cbc and so suddenly uh they're put on the defensive to have to explain why they thought this was a legitimate cause for concern the cbc of all people kim right uh from the toronto star so i don't know on the left i guess there's some finger pointing or you know whatever uh wagging their finger at uh, you're not progressive enough or you're not woke <laughs> enough uh quickly how do you see it i mean these passport babies or anchor babies is that a legitimate reason to uh want to address it I think, look, if you want to talk about immigration policy, there's a whole bunch of components around legal immigration that we we need to and you know, continue specifically to, continue to these to passport babies. I think I, I don't I don't have this issue. I don't think it's as big of a deal as everyone else seems to think it is. Uh, if there are safeguards to make sure there isn't, you know, you know, hundreds of thousands of millions or kajillions. Well, five thousand. Five thousand isn't a, a number that would get your attention. Not, not particularly. No, it, it really doesn't. I'm sure it would make uh, Max Bernier put it on a billboard, but it doesn't concern me that much. Okay, if it were ten thousand, but no. he'd be okay though. I mean, the Liberals would be okay if it was Quebec and there was a values test. That's acceptable. I, I think there are going to be significant unintended consequences, not dissimilar to when Toronto decided to declare the city a sanctuary city. There are realities that you have to pay for. There are realities with a system that gets overburdened and overpressed and, and underserviced. And it's going say- to hurt those communities, those immigrant communities and those lower income communities the most. Well, if if we get if we get to a spot where any time you criticize the current immigration system and how it functions, somehow you're you're supporting Maxime Bernier and the worst elements of society, then we're never going to have a real conversation about how we improve immigration. And just look at it; it is a significant driver of economic uh, growth, uh, population growth in this country. We need to regularly be able to have conversations about how it's working and where it can be improved and where it needs to be fixed. And creating a sanctuary city is actually about making sure that the people who are in your city are safe and can access services. It's not about an immigration policy. And every time somebody on the right just goes, but it's sanctuary city, so it's costing us billions. It doesn't. It's, it's not costing the way us it works. hundreds of millions of dollars, and those people in Toronto aren't getting the services that they need. Shelters are overwhelmed. Healthcare systems overwhelmed. Social services are overwhelmed. So and it's those on the left that think that they're about compassionate about this sort let's of thing. Have a conversation are the, are about the shelters, problem, Adrian? Anytime. All right. Well, this conversation is done. But uh, to that point, you know, when you're backed off a conversation because somebody says it's xenophobic or racist or whatever, uh, that is counterproductive and counterintuitive. Appreciate it all. Mike Van Solen, Adrian Batcher, Kim Wright. Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. 
Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio. 